The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, let me invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. You will also want to perhaps uh, put a finger in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. That's further left in the Old Testament, backwards in the Old Testament, uh, Numbers chapter 20. Uh, but Psalm 90 is our preaching text. We're also going to be looking at uh, Numbers 20. Um, you see in your bulletin the annual spiritual sobriety checkpoint. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But first I want to uh, share with you about a fascinating article that I saw and a lot of my friends were passing around uh, the past week and a half ago. NASA had a program in partnership with Princeton University and they, they partnered with Princeton University and a, a, a theological fellowship that they had. In partnership, NASA and Princeton brought together a group that they titled The Societal Implications of Astrobiology. So NASA recruited 24 theologians. NASA recruited 24 theologians and with Princeton University, this group of people, this theologian group, over four years got together to ask the question, what is the implication of the potential of astrobiology, the implications of extraterrestrial life? What would be the theological implications of life on other planets? Uh, well, we, maybe we could ask those interesting questions, but that think tank of 24 theologians in partnership with NASA got together over four years to ask questions like this. What is life? What does it mean to be alive? What is the purpose of life? Uh, the Vatican, the Roman Vatican had, uh, they have a chief astrological officer in the Vatican. He was quoted as suggested uh, that, you know, that we do have extraterrestrial brothers and what would we relate to them as? So NASA and Princeton University are asking the question, what is life? What is the purpose of life? What would it mean to think of life in other places? At the exact same time, NASA is about to release a telescope called the James Webb Telescope that's going to replace the Hubble Telescope. They call it a time machine that is able to look back 13.5 billion years and, quote, unveil the mysteries of the universe. NASA promises that the James Webb Telescope is going to change the way we look at the world and, as they're quoted in this article, change what is written in the scriptures of every world religion. To that I said, yikes. Yikes. Now, I'm not suggesting at all an anti-scientific way of looking at the world, but I am wanting to suggest that we should have a pro-Christian worldview. The humor about this is that this time machine of a telescope that is going to be able to look back 13 and a half billion years, unveil the mysteries of the universe, and change the way we look at the world, and change what the Bible says, is said to project to last about five years. That this great accomplishment of NASA that's going to change everything about life is going to last five, maybe ten years at best, is what they say. And to that, I thought, what an ironic attempt at humanity to kind of unpack the mysteries of the universe and really the fragile attempt of humans to make sense of life apart from God exalting itself. So, in response to the fact that humanity is constantly seeking to exalt itself, 
you and I need sobriety. You and I need spiritual sobriety about life. Ben Franklin said, you can count on two things in life. Do you remember what they are? What are death and taxes. You can add a third thing. You can count on Zach preaching Psalm 90, the first Sunday of the new year. I've done it for nine or ten years now. Death, taxes, and Zach preaching Psalm 90 on the first Sunday of the new year. It's something of a tradition, uh, and it's also called a spiritual annual sobriety checkpoint because I love to, to remind uh, myself that I grew up, my mom was a secretary for the police department, and the police department would be running sobriety checkpoints on New Year's Eve, and we would go out and take coffee and hot chocolate to the police officers running the sobriety checkpoints. So I visited sobriety checkpoints growing up as a kid every New Year's Eve. Right? So sobriety checkpoints was built into my thinking okay, about New Year's Eve. And now as a pastor, I can't help but say that the same needs to be true of us as Christians, that we need to have spiritual sobriety checkpoints at the beginning of a new year to make sure that you and I have our worldview adjusted appropriately, that we are thinking rightly, and that we have a sober-minded approach to life and godliness to be healthy Christians in this new year. So we go to Psalm 90 uh, because it, it provides that sobriety checkpoint for us. It's a much beloved psalm. It's also the scripture that inspired Isaac Watts to write that hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, that I thought we did a pretty good job singing. So the, the psalm comes first and then the hymn. But this psalm is also used in the liturgy of the Church of England to be required reading in every funeral service. And the reason why is because it, again, promotes this idea of a sober view of life. The summary that we can give here is that life is both brief and frail because it is cursed by sin, which is why, in order to make sense of life, in order to be happy in life, we need to find our refuge in the eternal God. So Psalm 90 says that my life is frail and fleeting and passing away, and God is my rock and my refuge and my eternal home. Psalm 90 does both of these things at the same time. It gives us a sober view of life and a sober view of God so as to hold in balance what must be kept in balance, namely that there is a God, I am not Him, and that changes the way I approach my life and totally transforms everything about it. So that is what Psalm 90 is all about. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, we pray now that You would come to us by Your Spirit and, and bless the reading and proclamation and, and hearing of Your Word. And we pray that as Moses gives us these words, that they would also be words that we would take into our own hearts, our own souls, that we would be a faithful Christian people in a world that needs a faithful Christian witness. So, Lord, bless your word to us. May it find good soil in our hearts and bring forth the fruit of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word, Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting. This is the word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. 
For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So may he write eternal truth on our hearts today. So keep your Bible open there and also put a finger in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, Psalm 90 is uh, one of the rare psalms that is not written by David or attributed to uh, an anonymous author, but it's attributed to Moses. Moses is, of course, that great figure in the Old Testament uh, who leads Israel out of the exodus of, from Egypt and slavery through the wilderness, and then Israel goes on into the promised land. And Moses is found only three times in the Bible as singing. Moses sings three times, and each of the three times are extremely significant moments in the redemptive history of Israel. If you go back, you will find the three times that Moses singing is, first of all, in Exodus chapter 15, after Israel crosses the Red Sea, Moses sings the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. O Lord, who is like you? There is none like you, O Lord. Moses sings in Exodus 15 about the grace of God and the strength of his arm to deliver Egypt through the sea and then to crush Israel's enemies there in the same sea. Moses sings in Exodus 15 about the crossing of the Red Sea. He also sings in Deuteronomy 32 just before he climbs Mount Nebo. And you say, good grief, what is Mount Nebo? Well, Moses sings a final song to Israel before he climbs up Mount Nebo to die. And in Exodus 15 and then in Deuteronomy 32, Moses sings his parting song to Israel where he is essentially reminding them of all of God's mercy as he prepares to die himself he wants Israel to be reminded of God's mercy in Deuteronomy 32, where he sings this, Besides you, there is no God. 
as if to say to Israel, do not look for your hope in some other source besides God alone. There is only one God, the God of the covenant, the Yahweh. So Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, very significant moments of redemptive history for Israel. And the third song that Moses sings is actually not recorded in the scope of Moses' life, but this is here in Psalm 90, the only uh, song that's attributed to Moses in the Psalms, which is why it is so significant. Now, we have gone through Psalm 90, like I said, some nine different times. And you say, well, what, what do you get out of Psalm 90 uh, this time that you didn't say before? I just want to affirm to you that I don't preach the same sermon every first Sunday of the year, uh, but a different one from the same text. We have looked at this text and unpacked the wonders of it many, many different times. But this morning, what I want to do is ask the question, what is happening in Moses' life that makes him write this song? Because I want you to notice the, the tone of the song. It is, it is a sober song, isn't it? Uh, Moses is here writing about the frailty and the fragility of human life the reality that one day we will die, but that God is eternal. And you should be asking, what was on Moses' mind when he writes a song like that? Uh, now, I, I'm all for, you know, upbeat songs and happy songs. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, but we also need to understand what would be in the heart of a man who is reflecting on these truths. What is happening? And we know the answer to that question, actually which is why I want you to go with me to the book of Numbers. So come with me, turn left to the book of Numbers in chapter 20. It's on page 128 of a Purak Bible because Numbers chapter 20 is actually the historical context for Psalm 90. So it's a beautiful thing when we were able to take the Bible and say, we know what was going on in the lives of the people of God when they said this because they were experiencing this. And Numbers 20 is the context of Psalm 90. And we can see out of Numbers 20 what was going on in Moses' life that makes him write Psalm 90. And as you would expect, it's a very sober reality. It's a very uh, sorrowful reality. But the sorrow of Moses' reality in Numbers 20 does not make him sink down it makes his heart lift up in praise. So before we look at this, let me just make a statement here about how Christians face the reality of life. Christians face the reality of life with its difficulties, with its sorrows and sufferings and sighings and trials and even death itself, not as some crushing load that utterly un unearths us. We are not undone as Christians by the reality of difficulties. We are not put to ruin by the reality of the fragility of life. Rather, realizing these things does not set us into a tailspin of sorrow. It lifts us up to the realization that we have faith in an eternal God who gives us a sure footing in the midst of the uncertainties of life. And that is a way of dealing with life that is unique to Christian people. Those who do not have the hope of Jesus Christ 
are not able to look at the sorrows and sufferings and sighings and trials and struggles of life with the same hope. We have it in Jesus Christ. So, in Psalm 90 and then in Numbers 20, Moses is facing some difficult things. And the three things are, first of all, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 says this, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. First of all, the context of Psalm 90 is the death of Miriam. Numbers 20, verse 1 reports Miriam's death. It does it with you know, no fanfare, but it actually ties more of the historical context that Israel is delivered out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, but because of their sin and because of their unbelief, God puts them to wander in the wilderness of Sinai so that an entire generation of the Israelites will pass away in the wilderness so that the next generation of the Israelites can cross the Jordan and go into the promised land without the stain of their forefathers' disobedience. So the reason why Israel wanders in the wilderness is so the generation, the oldest generation that left Egypt could die. They die because God curses their disobedience and unbelief by saying, you have not trusted in me, therefore this generation will not inherit the promised land. They wander for 40 years so that that generation will pass away and the next generation will go in. And we find the people of Israel coming to the wilderness of Zin and the people staying in Kadesh and there we're told that Miriam died. Now, Miriam is the leading female character in Israel's history. Uh, Miriam is also Moses' sister. So Moses is very close to her. And her death, reported so matter-of-factly there, is a reminder of the judgment that has been placed upon this generation, that they will not enter the promised land. And it is a hard reality. Now, you know, we're not emphasizing these things to unnecessarily pull on those tender places in our hearts. But we, we like Israel here, we lost in 2020. We lost in 2021. We will lose in 2022. This is a reality of life, but it must not undo us. It reminds us that the Bible tells us that it is appointed for man once to die. We will die. There will be death, but it will not bring about an undoing of us. So Moses sees the death of his own sister in Numbers chapter 20. Moses also sees, later on in chapter 20, if you go all the way down to verse 22, Moses sees also the death of his older brother, Aaron. The death of Aaron. There in uh, Numbers 20, verse 22, says this, And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel. Aaron, just like Miriam, also dies. Verse 28 says this, And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. Aaron is the high priest of Israel, and when he dies, Israel enters into a period of formal mourning an entire month 
of mourning together. Aaron is Moses' elder brother. They've been in ministry together now for 40 some odd years. And Aaron is the last of Moses' family. So at the end of chapter 20, Moses is the only one left of his father's household. So the weight of that is upon him. My sister is gone. My brother is gone. But there's also a third thing that weighs heavily upon Moses as well. In the middle of chapter 20, we find in verse 10, Numbers 20 verse 10 says this, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. Now, this is a seemingly miraculous thing, but God told Moses to speak to the rock, and the rock would bring forth water. And Moses chose to strike the rock rather than speak to the rock. So you see in verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So, what you have in Numbers 20 is also Moses' own sin and rebellion. Moses is about 120 years old at this point. And you can imagine that having wandered around with Israel for some time now, some 38 years wandering in the desert, and I'm 120 years old, you might forgive Moses for running out of a bit of patience. God told Moses to speak to the rock, and the rock would bring forth water. Moses says, the heck with it, and strikes the rock, and therefore sins against the Lord. And as punishment... The Lord says to Moses, Moses, you will not enter the land. So imagine for a moment, Moses is the one who led Israel out of Egypt. Moses is the one who led the people through the Red Sea and then sang on the other side. Moses is the one who has been keeping peace in the camp. Moses is the one who has been giving people the law. Moses is the one who is the spiritual leader of these people. He makes seemingly one mistake. And the Lord says, Everything you've been leading the people on, you will not experience. They will go into the land, but Moses, you will not. Now we might be tempted to think in some way of sympathizing with Moses, saying, you know what, that's not fair. It's just really not fair that Moses does one thing wrong after everything he's done right, and he doesn't get to enter the land. But we remember that God takes sin seriously, doesn't He? The last part of verse 13 is that through them the Lord showed Himself holy. God always takes sin seriously is what that teaches us. So here is Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, Moses is bereft of all of his closest family. They're gone. He's the only one left. Moses himself is covered with the shame and sorrow because of his sins. And Moses is told that he himself will not enter the promised land. So that's Moses at the end of chapter 20. Lonely, sad, sorrowful. And it is at this point that Moses writes Psalm 90. So go back to Psalm 90. 
Go back to Psalm 90 and let's ask these questions because Moses is answering these questions as he himself asks them, most likely of himself, when all of my family is gone, when everything I've been working toward I'm not going to receive, when life seems to be falling apart, where is my hope? Where is my trust? Where is my solid ground? What is my certainty? Where is my home? That question, where is my home? Because Israel has been wandering in the desert without a home. They're living in tents. And God is saying, I'm going to take you to the promised land where you will have a city with a sure foundation, but you're not there yet. And so this theme of where do I belong and what is true and what is my hope and where is my strength and where is my security and what is my home, all of these questions in light of Moses' sufferings is all swirling about when Moses writes Psalm 90. Look at it again. In verse 1, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. What is Moses saying in Psalm 90? What Moses is saying in Psalm 90 is admittedly a sobering truth, but it is a truth that we need to know. It is a truth that we need to be assured with that the source of my hope and the source of my strength and the confidence of my life and the security of my eternal life do not rest in me. Do not rest in other people or other things or objects or places. The source of comfort and strength and hope and peace and security is not in me. Let's emphasize it again. Not in me. Me. And before we answer where it is, of course, we know the answer, but you might be interested to know that the New York Times says that one of the primary vocabulary words of 2021 was the word languish. Languishing was the word of 2021. It was described as the dominant emotion of 2021. What is languishing? Languishing is described as this. Languishing, they say, is the way you felt last year, whether or not you knew it or not. Well, maybe. They say it's this. It's not burnout because we still have some energy to do things. It's not depression because we're not totally hopeless. We just feel somewhat joyless and aimless, and the name for this is languishing. It's a sense of stagnation and emptiness of muddling through life, or looking through life through a foggy windshield. Now, I don't know if that was true or not for you. It may have been at some point or not. It may still be. But we have to ask the question, what is the cure for languishing? What do we do when we feel sorrowful and weighed down by the realities of life in a fallen world? What we need is a spiritual sobriety that looks to the eternal God and makes sense of life based off of who God is. 
we as Christian believers need to look to God and then make sense of our life relative to Him rather than the reverse. Because one of the things that so often gets us into trouble is that we experience something, we make a conclusion, and then we say, God must be like this because that's how I feel about how He is. God must be uncaring because I'm suffering. God must be inattentive because I've been praying and I don't seem to be answered. But Christian believers understand in growing maturity that we make sense of life by first looking to God and then forming the way we look at the world relative from that rather than the reverse. We look to God and we understand who He is and then we make sense of the world from there. It will bring about sorrow and misery and frustration if we attempt to redefine the world according to our own understanding and then redefine God in our image instead of saying, Lord, this is who you are and this is how you made me. Real human flourishing results from knowing God and then making sense of life from there rather than saying, I am my own God. I'm going to redefine everything about life and say this is what's true because of what it's I say. That will not bring about happiness and flourishing no matter how much people tell us that it will. Real happiness, real flourishing comes from knowing God and then understanding life from that perspective. That is the cure for languishing. If you want to call it that or call it something else, what we need in life is to know who God is. So Moses says, in verse 2, Psalm 90, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the source of truth. God is the source of strength. God is the source of hope. God is the one who gives sense to this crazy world. God is the one who gives us a path for our feet. God is the one who teaches us right from wrong and morality and truth and goodness and gender and identity. God is the one who makes sense of all of these things. Everything about human life is transient and passing away. And Psalm 90 says God is eternal. He is the rock. He is the source of strength. He is the source of hope. And if we would know that hope, we must know this God. So, my coffee bag preached this sermon to me this morning. And I didn't notice it until this morning. I, I think it's uh, caribou coffee. And on it, it said, life is short. Stay awake. Life is short. Stay awake. And to that I thought, okay, I will. Life is short, isn't it? Moses says so in Psalm 90. And what we need to be awake to is not the benefits of caffeinated coffee, <laughs> but the realities of who our God is. We need to be awake to the reality of God. God is eternal. God is our refuge in the past. God is the one who will uphold us into the future. There is no uncertainty with God. So my encouragement to you, my encouragement to myself, right, as we prepare for another year of who knows what will be, right? We made all sorts of estimations about what 2020 would bring, and who knows. Take this truth from Psalm 90 and seal it to your hearts. You, as a Christian believer, can trust an unknown future to a known God. 
And the known God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who formed the mountains, and who upholds your life through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is what is true. That is what is most important. That is the sobriety that we need as we approach a new year with the knowledge and hope and faith that God Himself provides. So I pray that you have it. And I pray that the knowledge of it upholds you even in the midst of uncertainties so that you can know that God is your refuge and your strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give to us life and peace and hope. Lord, we confess that there are things that will be before us this year that we would rather not experience. There will also be joys and wonderful truths as well. Lord, for everything, we look to you as our source of hope and peace and strength. Help us, Lord, to face what may be uncertain days with the confident and certain faith in you, the God who is outside of time, the God who himself creates and upholds all things, the God who through your Son, Jesus Christ, has reconciled us to you. So, Lord, bless your people, confirm their faith, and uphold them from everlasting to everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.